Would you uh, humor me? <laughs> and uh, take out your hymnal, if you would, please. And uh, turn to page 926 in the very back. On page 926, there is a theological vision statement. It says uh, in its opening words, collections of hymns, psalms, and spiritual songs give voice to the church's core beliefs and theological convictions. It goes on to say these texts are compact theology and they shape the thinking, faith, and practices of the church, which is to say songs shape consciousness. Uh, I want to just lift that up as part of why we sing the songs that we do and to say that's part of what has inspired this sermon uh, in Advent, this third Sunday of Advent, in which I want to talk about angels more than Presbyterians usually talk about angels. Theologians call it angelology. <clears throat> uh, I'm adding another scripture passage to help uh, unpack this from Luke chapter 1 we hear the story of the priest Zechariah now once in your ministry for priests in this time you got to go into the Holy of Holies and and clean out the ashes but it was such a holy place it only happened once in your life and this is Zechariah's time. He's entered into that extremely holy place. And there he encounters an angel. Listen for the word of the Lord from Luke chapter 1. We'll begin with verse 11 and read various parts of chapter 1. Then there appeared to him, Zechariah, an angel of the Lord, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was terrified, and fear overwhelmed him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you will name him John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. Continuing in verse 18, Zechariah said to the angel, How will I know this is so? For I am an old man, and my wife is getting on in years. The angel replied, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. But now, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time, you will become mute, unable to speak, until the day these things occur. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We'll continue in Luke chapter 2, verses 18 through 15. Again, a strong a story about angels. In that region, there were shepherds living in fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy for all the people. 
To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is the Messiah, the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and singing, glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace among those whom he favors. And when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You'll hear the rest of the story next Sunday, right? So here we are in the story of Advent. There is there is in this story something that makes me think of a quote from an 18th century German philosopher, uh, Friedrich Schleiermacher. Paraphrased, he said, the special calling of a person is at the same time the melody of that person's life. And the melody remains a simple, meager series of notes, unless religion with its endless rich variety raises the simple song into a full-voiced, glorious harmony. So we have Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist. And if ever there was simply a meager series of notes that did not bring much passion, much joy, much of anything, That meager series of notes is Zechariah, the old priest. He said he'd always wanted a child, but here it is. He's got the opportunity, and he says, Ah, I'm too old. My wife's too old. Obviously, the man is very good at making excuses. The angel of the Lord appears. The Greek is angelos. Angelos has two meanings, angel. And, and in our minds, you know, what does that conjecture for you? You have to ask that question. Is that a, a, a painting by Raphael of the two little cherubs uh, sort of glowingly looking and adoring? Or is that something big and glorious with wings and flowing robes on the Sistine Chapel? We've got all sorts of baggage that comes to us with, with, uh, with the word angel. But that same word angel also means messenger. Messenger, like the FedEx man. (laughs) You know, what's more helpful for you? You see, it really doesn't matter how you see these messengers of God because the real question is not the messenger, it's the message. The message is this message of transcendent joy. The angel starts singing, and and only some translations really reflect what's going on there. The angel starts singing to Zechariah, now is your time, now is God's time for you. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice in his birth. It will be great before the Lord. The angel is so overwhelmed with this message that God has given him to share that he can't help but singing. In fact, that may be the only way he can truly express the transcendent joy that he has to give, a gift so wondrous. And old Zechariah just can't imagine it. 
Old Zechariah hears the song but refuses to sing along. And so the angel gives him a punishment or maybe it's a self-fulfilling prophecy to those of us who don't have hope. But the result is a nine-month period of silence. Think of what it's like to live in silence where you cannot speak. Nine months of silence. Scott Peck says this, Peck says, the truth is that our finest moments are most likely to occur when we are feeling deeply uncomfortable, unhappy, or unfulfilled. Our finest moments may occur when we're feeling deeply uncomfortable because it's only in such moments that we are propelled by our discomfort and are likely to step out of our ruts and start searching for different ways, for truer answers." End quote. Old Zechariah, tongue-tied and silent and uncomfortable for nine months. Apparently, something is going on in this time in his discomfort that is changing him. Maybe his wife's not the only one in whom a new person was forming because Zechariah is about to be born anew. And when the baby was finally born and his friends and family gathered around, they all said, oh, what? Let's name the baby Zechariah Jr. You know, because the family's always had that name and it's a good name and we can look to the past and look to the father, look at his father and, and, and Zechariah gets so angry, he, he slams his iPod down on the table and he says, his name is John. And then he found his voice. Then he began to speak. And that's where we usually stop the story. But the story doesn't stop with him just saying his name is John. The story stops because Zechariah starts singing. He starts singing, Blessed be the God of Israel to whom he has visited and saved his people. He has given us the horn of his altar, which is to say, Ollie, Ollie, oxen free, we're all home free. It is a song of joy. It is a song of salvation. And Zechariah, who had not been able to sing along, finds his voice. I like to think about, think about that nine months of silence the uncomfortableness that was preparing him for this new day. His name is John. And at that moment, he finds his true voice. He's free to speak, free to sing, free to hope. And it's a song that the angel sang to him. And Zechariah sings his song back to the angel. He sings his song. And it is a song not to himself, but it is a song to all those lost in hopelessness. That they might find their hope. And that they might find their voice. I want to talk about some other angels now, those angels on the hillside that we usually hear about on Christmas Eve. I want to talk about those other shepherds, but the first I want to share an insight from my friend Jens, who lives in Germany. 
Jens, being a good Luther, Lutheran living in Lutherland, is absolutely adamant that the Bible must be translated in the common language of the people uh, that, that, that it is spoken to. And he says to me, in America, you do not have shepherds. You have cowboys. You should translate this when cowboys were out in the fields at night. <laughs> and I realized when he said that, in the common language of the people, that I made a connection that I hadn't seen before. It was a connection to the movie Australia. It's, it's on uh, Netflix or something these days. And, but it's a marvelous story, a long story, about a movie set in Australia, out on a ranch. There's a governess who owns it all. Her husband's gone. She's helped by a cattle drover. And the governess watches over a young boy, Nulla. Nulla, born to an aboriginal mother and white father, is something of an outcast. But the governess takes her, this orphan under her wing. She raises him, protects him, teaches him. But then one day, Nulla's grandfather shows up. He's said to be an outlaw, a shaman. Nobody's seen him in years. But all of a sudden, he shows up and says, it's time for this young boy to go on walkabout. A coming-of-age ritual journey of the young men of his tribe to go out into the outback, into the wilderness, to learn the stories and the songs of his people. But the governess refuses to let Nulla go. In silent anger, the grandfather leaves. Later on in the story, the scene shifts away from the ranch, out into the wilderness, into the outback where the cowboy, the governess, and Nulla are on a long cattle drive uh, with 1,500 head of cattle. The bad guys set fire to the range and the cowboy drover has to change course and put the cattle out in the desert. They've been there for days, days without water, and the cattle are about to die of thirst and all hope is lost. Suddenly, Nulla's aboriginal grandfather appears. And he starts singing. He sings songs handed down from the ancestors. He sings, and the hopeless start listening. It dawns on them that the songs of the ancestors are filled with images that will guide them through the desert. The songs are a musical map that leads them to water, which is to say that leads them to life. And so it was on that first Christmas time, the cowboy shepherds working the night shift out in the darkness. And the darkness, of course, is a metaphor for life in a brutal time, a time of oppression and fear and hopelessness, not knowing what threat lies hidden in the dark, something or someone, predators lurking for the lambs, waiting for their chance to pounce. The shepherds, trembling in the darkness, when all of a sudden a stranger steps out to give them a message, and even that stranger makes them tremble even more. But the angel comes with a message of outrageous hope into their well-calibrated, surprise-free universe of hopelessness. The messenger gives the message, and all of a sudden, the host of angels comes, and they start singing. And the songs of the angels are a map, a map 
out of the dark, out of the dread, out of the wilderness, out of the fear, into a world filled with hope. The angel messengers singing, so overwhelmed with joy, it's infectious, and others sing along. The angels could not describe the wonder of it all by doctrine or prose. They needed to sing it to say it. And so it is. There is too much joy, too much wonder, too much hope for us to say it clearly and simply. And so we sing our songs of hope because they are for us maps of life that help to guide us out of the dark, out of the wilderness. Advent asks us, does hope fit in your scheme of things? When the angels sing their songs of hope, are you ready to sing along? I think there's plenty of people who have lost hope, or maybe who never had it at all, which is to say hope has to be taught. It has to be nurtured. It has to be evoked. Hope has to be sung so that those around us can hear, hear the infectious nature of this wondrous, transcendent gift that we've been given. Are you singing the song of hope to get in touch with the message that you've been given to share? Are we practicing hope or are we sitting like Zechariah in silence? God is coming to you. That's our message. Hope is not about you, of course. It is about God, and it's God who's coming to you. So we all have hope, a resilient conviction that can be nurtured in our soul so that we know there's something on the move in the darkness that, that even the forces of darkness cannot comprehend. God may take time, but God is not absent, not doing nothing. God is doing something that takes time and something that will, trans, trans, cha, that will change the world. <laughs> Hope is our message today. In the songs of the angels, the juices start to flow so that those who have not hoped in a long time can be nurtured in their hope. There's a story I'd like to share in conclusion today. It's a story that uh, as a child, I did not care for. I mean, I, mean, I just didn't like this story. Um, <clears throat> but then as an adult, my mind was changed. It was changed at the funeral uh, of a woman whom I respected uh, greatly. Uh, and I heard her son, a grown man, tell about how he had polio as a child. But before there were vaccinations, uh, uh, he had caught polio, and so he ended up in an iron lung for months and months. But that his mother read this story to him every day, and it gave him hope. The story was Charlotte's Web. Charlotte's Web, the story about a pig, Wilbur, who's about to go to the slaughterhouse. But Charlotte has a word of hope. And so she weaves a word above his head, a phrase, some pig, and people start to wonder. And then that web falls apart and she weaves another word, terrific. That web falls apart and she weaves another word, radiant. 
And people begin to pay attention in that web of words and they begin to see the pig differently. Mean old farmer Mr. Zuckerman increases Wilbur's feedings and stops making him make his bed in the manure and gives him clean, fresh straw. Greedy Templeton the rat helps him out when he needs it most. And there was another character that I was kind of worried about, kind of a flawed character, the minister. <laughs> but one Sunday, when the church was full, the minister said that the words in the spider's web proved that human beings must always be on the watch for the coming of wonders. Human beings must always be on the watch for the coming of wonders. What do you think those words meant to that young boy in an iron lung? as he watched for the coming of wonders that one day did come to him. In the dark, the angels come. They start speaking, they start singing to the shepherds, to the cowboys, to the burnt out priests, to the travelers and truckers and homeless, and they give a song to sing, to reimagine the world to reimagine themselves. God gives us a song to sing this Advent time, to guide us through the desert, through every dark place, every dry and dusty time, we're given a song to sing, to guide us. Listen for the songs of the angels this Advent. Songs that guide us, that give us a map to the stable, to the manger, to the everlasting light. Listen, can you hear them? The angels sing songs of hope for you and for all of us. Amen.